morning scripture reading is from Ephesians 4, verse 11 to 16. And on your pew Bibles, it's on page 828. It was he who gave some to, the, to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is in the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You are uh, hopefully still in Ephesians chapter 4. But... uh, If you're there, then I want you to flip back about three chapters to Ephesians chapter 1, because that's where we're at today. Gary Zorn walked up to me today and said, so what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm doing the whole book of Ephesians in one fell swoop. And he said, I hope everybody brought a lunch. Well, you won't have to bring a lunch, but we are going to do the book of Ephesians really quickly here. And that's because this is one of my favorite books. Well, not just because of that. It's because it really fits into what I want to do today. It is one of my favorite books. Uh, You know, there are two places in Scripture that I just seem to always be turning to. One is John 17. John 17 is my favorite passage in the Bible. But then the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 4, is really precious to me. In fact, you know, I have memories of both of those passages from when I first became a Christian. I was 15 years old. And I've told you the story before about in, uh, how Robin and I, on our very first date, went back to her apartment after our date. We'd, we'd known each other for several years but hadn't dated. We went back to her apartment. She was living in Portland, and we sat down. And, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You're back in the apartment together after your date. So I said, let's read the Bible. So we did. We turned to John 17 and read John 17 together because it was my favorite passage in Scripture. And then I remember when I was 15 years old, I just started reading the Bible and I read through Ephesians 4. And I thought, clearly no one has ever read this before. I think I'm the first one. And so I went down to the church building and I found the preacher and I said, you've got to read Ephesians 4. I wanted him to read it because I figured he'd probably never seen this before. And those passages ever since have just been so crucial for me as I think about what it means to be a Christian, what it means for us to be especially the unified body of Christ. Now, I, I have to tell you, there's some significance to this this morning. We have this, this piece of uh, material here. Normally, when you, you know, if you're going to draw something in front of a group of people like this, you would use a big chart or something like that, or maybe a flip chart. But this is a piece of drywall. And there's a reason for that. It's because we are building something. And drywall is building material. So by the end today, you're going you're gonna to hear about building material and things being built. And drywall is significant in terms of building Okay, the book of Ephesians, it's like this. 
You start out, and in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, look at your text, everybody. If you look at chapter three, verse, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, the text centers on what we have in Christ, specifically in Jesus. In fact, there are about nine times in the first 14 verses when the expression in Christ is used. Now, I don't know, most of you have the NIV this morning. I haven't counted to see how many times that comes up in the, the NIV, but I can tell you that in the Greek, it, all, it comes up either in Christ or in him. That expression comes up about nine times or so in the first 14 verses. And so it's all about what we have in Jesus. Then, uh, the rest of that chapter is talking still about things that you possess uh, in Christ. Specifically, he says, I pray that, the, uh, spirit, that you may have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. This is about verse 17 or so. That God uh, may enlighten your hearts, that you might understand things about him. And then it talks through the rest of the chapter about the power that comes to us through the resurrection of Christ. Then chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, are all about what we have received specifically on the cross and the gift of grace. And it starts out about how we were sinners uh, with all kinds of transgressions and sins. We were dead in our transgressions and sins in which we once lived. Uh, We followed the principalities and the powers of this air. We just couldn't be at all what God wanted us to be. And then as you move through those verses, by the time you get to verse 5, 6, 7, he's talking all about the grace that we have received in Christ. And he finishes up with talking about how we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, for works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. So chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 10, is all about what God has done for us in Jesus. And it's absolutely beautiful. But then, in chapter 11, he changes theme, or chapter uh, 2, verse 11, he changes themes. Look at verse 11. And if you have an NIV uh, with those headings at the top, it'll say something like uh, uh, the... Jews and Gentiles in one body, or the unity of the body, or something like that. Am I, am I right about that? Is there something there? What, what is the heading in the NIV? One in Christ. Okay, perfect. Okay, so that, that, those verses, verses 11 through the end of the chapter, uh, I think it ends like in verse 21 or something, verse 22, is all about the unity, unity that we have in the body of Christ. And he talks about how there were Jews and there were Gentiles, but now through, the, the, through Christ, the barrier... The wall between Jew and Gentile has been broken down, and the two have become one body. And he talks about how we are this wonderful temple of God, being built together, one body, holy and and pleasing to the Lord. Okay? That takes you up to chapter 3, verse 1. In chapter 3, verse 1, there is kind of an aside where Paul starts to talk about his own ministry. And he ends up with a prayer... Uh, beginning, I think, in verse 14. But before that, in verses 1 through 13, he talks specifically about what God has done through him as the apostle to the Gentiles. And I want you to notice verse 6 especially. Look at verse 6. It says, This mystery, talking about the mystery he's received from God and that he has a chance to proclaim, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And so verse 6 of chapter 3 basically does the same thing that verses two, uh, chapter 2, verses 11 and following do. Okay, So if you look at chapter 3, verse 6, And then chapter 2, verse 11, you'll find it's basically the same content. Verse 11 in chapter 2 through the end of that chapter 
and chapter 3, verse 6, are giving you basically the same thing. The fact that God has broken down the barrier, this wall of sin and separation between Jew and Gentile, and he has brought them together into one new man, he says, in Christ. Okay, then I want you to look at chapter 3, verse 14. It starts out with, for this reason. And when he says, for this reason, what he's talking about is that every, he's talking about everything that has come before. Everything that was in chapter 1 about what Christ had done, in, verse, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, about what he had done in saving us through grace, in what he had done in bringing the Jew and Gentile together into one body. And for this reason, for all these things, and for this mystery that has been revealed to him, he says, through God, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then Paul is just so thrilled with what God has been doing in his life that he says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. There's just this, he just bursts forth with praise to God for what it is that God has done. He just can't hold himself in. Well, I, I want you to notice that in verses 14, of chapter 3, through the end of the chapter, virtually every verb that is used is plural. And every pronoun that you see used in those verses is plural. That means that every time you see the word you in those verses, it's plural. And the point is this. Paul clearly has written Ephesians for the sake of the unity of the body of Christ. And when he talks in verses 14 about all the things that he desires for the church to be, every expression there is a plural expression. Meaning that every good blessing that he sees in verse 14 through the end of the chapter, he's desiring for the church and praying for the church collectively. All of this is happening in community. They are mutual expressions of community. They are mutual expressions, and this maybe is the real point for this morning, of growth. Mutual, communal expressions of growth throughout all those verses. And so, here's what happens. In Ephesians 1.1, down through 2.10, we have a foundation on which the church is built. So here's the foundation. You could call this the rock. This is the bottom part of the structure. We could divide this into bricks or something. 
okay? Maybe large stones that we can divide this into. Ephesians 1, 1 through 2, 10. And that foundation has everything to do with what Christ has done for us. That's why in verses 3 through 14 or 13 in the first chapter, there is this continual expression in Christ being used. About nine times in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. This is what we have. All this happens to us in Christ. That becomes the foundation for all that we are in the church. Down through chapter 2, verse 10. Then, in chapter 2, verse 11, we start to see Paul build a structure. Or we could say, even, that he's building a mountain. And so when you get to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 and following, that's what that FF means, All the way down through chapter 4, verse 16, Paul's expressions are consistently about unity and about community. And what he's doing is he is building, essentially, the church. He's building the body of Christ from Ephesians chapter 2.11 on. Now, the only part that doesn't really fit into all of that, and it still does fit, is his little aside in chapter 3, verses one down through verse 13, which is his prayer. But as I showed you, even in chapter 3, verse 6, there's that very plain statement about what he's wanting to do with the unity of Jew and Gentile being brought together. So, chapter 2, verse 11 and following, and then we saw chapter 3, verse 14 and following, was all about unity. He was praying for unity, asking that God would bless the church in all kinds of ways. In fact, I wrote down here all these different kind of mutual expressions that he has in there. There's the dwelling in our hearts through faith. You can see that. There is communal prayer. In verses 314 and following, there is a a rootedness and groundedness in love. There's the grasping of how high, how wide, how long, how deep is the love of Christ Jesus. There is the surpassing love that goes on in those verses. There is the fullness of God, which is ours. All of that stuff happens specifically in relation to the total body. And that's why he keeps using these plural verbs throughout Ephesians 3, verses 14 through 21. And now, look at your text again. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So he wants us to live up to a certain standard, this calling in Christ. And he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Why? Because he wants you to be bearing with one another in love. Make every effort, he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all, through all, and in all. And so in chapter 4, verse 6 and following, if you had to sum all of that up with one word, what would it be, church? I'm sorry, I, I said six. I meant one. Make that a one. Chapter four, verse one. That was, You gave me blank looks. I, chapter four, verse one and following. What's the summation of that material from chapter one down through verse six? 
Unity. Yeah, it's totally unity. It's, it's so easy to see. Okay, so we have unity there in chapter 4, verse 1 and following as being the whole theme. So all of this in chapter 3, 14 and following was all, we said, mutual. It's all about community. All plural verbs in there. Then chapter 4, verse 1 and following, down through verse 6, is again all about unity. Now, look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. So he's talking about how gifts have been given to the church. Then I want you to look at verse 11, because he starts talking about those gifts. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so 4.11, and really 4.7 and following, but certainly 4.11 is all about unity, and Paul just keeps building this mountain, and finally it kind of tops out. And when it tops out, it tops out with the church and what it is supposed to be in Christ. Now what I think is happening is this. I think that Paul has somehow noticed in the Ephesian church that there isn't the unity that they're supposed to be. And so for four chapters, down through chapter 4, verse 16, after he builds on the foundation that is Christ, he begins to construct the edifice, the mountain, the building, the temple of the church, And it is all about our unity and love. And every section in the book of Ephesians, 2.11 and following, 3.14 and following, 4.1 and following, 4.11, this goes down through verse 16, every passage is talking about unity in the body of Christ. Now, what happens after 4.16 is, Paul says, Okay, I've told you what you're supposed to be, this unified body of Christ. Now let me tell you how you're going to get there. And he goes on in several different passages to outline how that unity is supposed to take place. And so he says things, for example, if you look at 425, in 425 he says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Notice the, the mutual communal, communal idea here. In your anger, don't sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Notice the sharing of those in need is also communal. And so what Paul says after verse 25 in chapter 4 is, Here's how you're going to make this unity, this community, a reality among you. Look at verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Well, why do you only want to do the building up language? Because you have, apparently, I think he would say to the Ephesians, use some language which is not so building up. There's some language that hasn't been so encouraging. And because you haven't been building others up, 
and letting only the encouraging words come out of your mouth, in some ways, the, the church's unity and community, which should be there, isn't there quite as fully as it should be. Verse 30, and don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness. Well, where does that happen? In relationship. Rage and anger, that happens in relationship. Brawling and slander, that happens in relationship, along with every form of malice. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love. Where does love happen? In community, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God. Then look it over verse 19 of chapter 5. He starts out, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You can see the communal nature of that. And then he goes on and talks about wives and husbands, children and parents, slaves and masters. And so half of chapter 6 also, and the rest of chapter 5, is all about how do you live in community. This whole book is answering the question of how does a group of people live together under Christ. They do so in community, living out this life of love together. Now, I think that the crescendo of all of this is in chapter 4. Up through 416 as he moves toward describing what the church is supposed to be, he's describing this, this kind of con continual movement of unity. And when he gets to 4.14, look at this. We haven't read this yet. In 4.14 he says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind and teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, and that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And I would say, then, that 4, 14 through 16 is like this, this mountaintop, this flat place up on top of the mountain where we're growing and growing and growing and becoming what God wants us to be as a church. But eventually we top out and I wish I had more room and I wish I was an artist. Because if I was an artist, instead of this slop that I put up here, if I, could, if I could really draw, I would build a beautiful temple up on top of this mountain that represents what we're supposed to be in Christ. And I would talk about how that beautiful temple in the Lord is so unified with so much love, with love being the vocabulary that we constantly speak, and the unity of the Spirit holding us together so tightly as a group of people. That's what I would describe, because that is exactly what Paul describes as he describes what the church is supposed to be. And it astonishes me that I think Paul took a whole book, the book of Ephesians, and focused, really, on this one theme, 
more than anything else, and it comes out in paragraph after paragraph after paragraph, the unity and the, the rising together of the body of Christ to be what God wants it to be. Now here's what's really beautiful. Jordan expressed this in the Lord's Supper today. He talked about it. He talked about what it means to him to have grown up in this body. He talked about how wonderful it was and the relationships that he established which still exist. And what is totally cool for me, especially as someone who comes in from the outside, and for anybody who does, is that we all have equal access to this body, equal access to become part of this fellowship. And we can all together dwell at this place of unity and love. It's an amazing opportunity. Now here are some things that are available to you. Number one, you have the opportunity to with purpose commit yourself to contributing to that unity. Okay? You have the opportunity to contribute to that that unity. You are, and again, if I was an artist, I could draw all this so well, but I'm not. You have to put up with someone who does okay with Greek, but not so well with art. Okay? These are rocks in the mountain. Okay? And you have a chance, you have an opportunity to be one of these rocks. You can contribute to what this mountain is in the Lord. You can, on this foundation that is Christ, build your life and build the church in this unified structure, which is Christ, becoming ultimately the temple that God wants us to be. That's one opportunity you have to contribute to that work of unity. And you'll do so, Paul says so clearly, through your behavior. It's all about how you live. Because when you live well, you will treat others well. And the things that come out of your mouth will be encouraging and will bless others. You'll have a chance to build others up in the Lord. And as you do, this edifice of the church will build together as you become the rock that you need to be. Another way in which you can be a rock, Paul says, is that you can exercise your gifts. In fact, he says there are some of you who have special gifts for even taking leadership positions. And so there are apostles and there are prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and they all have the job of building up the body of Christ. And when they do, the, the church becomes what it's supposed to be in the Lord as we all do our work and take on ourselves the gifts that God has called us to. And then finally, we all have the chance to do this just by personally growing. Like, verses 11 through 16 in chapter 4 are all about every member in the church growing. That means that you're not just going to be a little rock, but you're going to be a progressively bigger rock in the Lord. And you have a chance to add to the edifice that is the church in a a stronger more foundational kind of way as you are continually more what God wants you to be. You don't stay where you are. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking that if Paul 
spent that much time thinking about this, about the church and its unity and what it is as an edifice before God. If Paul spent that much time thinking about that, it makes sense to me that we would spend some time thinking about it too. And I don't know how often you sit and think to yourself, I want to grow in Christ. I want, I want to be more what God wants me to be. But I think the book of Ephesians calls all of us to that. I can remember when I was 15 reading Ephesians 4. I can remember when I read John 17. And I can remember how, although I understood that and got some of that, there was so much I didn't get. I'd like to think that now, at 51, that I understand better the things that I knew then. This weekend, our teenagers are away at, uh, at Pine Lake. They're having a chance to go and, and be community together. I remember when I was 15 and was part of a youth group, it was absolutely crucial for me that I spend time with those people. We had a chance to build each other up in such a significant way. It was a, it was a unique time, a unique group of people, and we grew together in the Lord. I'm hoping and praying that our teens this weekend are having just exactly that kind of experience. I pray that they're growing and, and building up relationships with each other and becoming the, the solid body of teenage believers that God wants them to be, and that for each one of them, it is mutually edifying. But beyond that, what I hope is that when they come home from this retreat and any retreat they're ever involved in, that they will feel themselves part of a group of people who are doing the very same thing. Growing together in the Lord, rising together to become this holy temple that God calls us to be, desires for us to be, needs us to be in him. You have opportunity to to contribute positively to that, to be one of these rocks as the edifice grows in the Lord. And I'm praying, I'm praying you take that opportunity. It's there for you. Choose it. Claim it. Allow God to work in you. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this beautiful book of Ephesians. I thank you for the theme of of unity. And I thank you for the theme of growth that goes right along with it. These two ideas, hand in hand, as the church grows and is unified and is unified and grows and just continues to become what you want us to be in you. Make us that, Lord. Father, where there are barriers that prevent us from being this this cohesive, aligned body that you want us to be, break down those barriers.